Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Are you well? I am. Thank you. Thank you for asking. You guys look good. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is John Lee, and I serve Mission Church as the lead pastor. I'm excited and honored to be with you in this context, especially as we continue our current sermon series in the book of Ephesians. In fact, we're still in chapter 1. We're still in the, the run-on sentence that's infamous in chapter 1. But did you know that this, this series we've entitled God's Plan for God's People? And the reason for this is because God has a plan to use His people. It's true. I promise. In all of our brokenness, in spite of our weaknesses, He plans to use us, the church, to transform the world. See, Jesus has already triumphed over the powers of darkness. And it's God's plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Him. And this cosmic plan of God is being displayed and being accomplished in us and through us, the church. Now, if you have a Bible, would you open it up to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. Two weeks ago, we were introduced to this infamous run-on sentence of the Apostle Paul in which he encourages us believers to praise God for all the spiritual blessings that He has given us in the heavens in Christ. And this morning we're going to finish this section up and we're going to specifically focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we divided this up in three sections because that's how this sentence is divided. And we looked at the work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and this morning the work of God the Holy Spirit. And if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, our focus this morning is going to be on verses 11-14, through 14, but for a sense of context and to get our bearings, uh, let's begin our reading in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. In Him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the One who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to His glory. In Him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My goal this morning is to rightly interpret it, explain our text in its context, and to bring it to bear in each and every one of our lives, especially with the, in the purpose of loving Jesus, living like Jesus, and leading others to Jesus. Before we get started, let's take a moment to pray together. God, we're desperate for You. Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of the Lord. If there's 
anyone here who has not been granted the gift of faith, Lord, would you do so? And, and those who are here this morning are feeling weary, I pray, Lord, that you would give them rest. I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, remove the calluses that have built up so we can clearly see who you are. We've been looking at these different characteristics over the past three weeks. And God, it's only when we have a right understanding of who we are that we can truly and fully understand the good news of the gospel. And so God, would you reveal to us more and more through your word who you are and who we are and our need for Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as I preach this morning, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and beautiful in your sight. God, you are my rock and my redeemer. And Lord, we ultimately long to glorify you in all that we do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Henry Dempsey was a pilot for a commuter airline in 1987. Early one morning, Henry and his co-pilot, they took off in his commuter plane to, to transport it back to the airport in Portland, Maine. After they were in the air, Henry, he detected that the passenger door was, was open, was not fastened tightly. And there were no passengers in the plane at the time, so Henry handed the, the controls to his co-pilot and he went back to fix the door. And as Henry grabbed to latch the door, to fasten it tightly, the door flew open. And well, you can imagine what happened next. The co-pilot, hearing the door fly open, was almost in shock as, as his pilot was now gone. There was nothing he could do for him. He had to focus now on landing the plane safely with the passenger door flying open. He radioed the control tower to inform them of the tragedy, and Despite what had happened, he landed the plane safely. And to everyone's amazement, especially the co-pilot, the pilot, Henry Dempsey, was hanging on to the stairs, which he grabbed as he fell out of the plane. Henry was on national news that night, explaining that he had done the only thing that he could possibly do, and it was to hold on tight, to hang on for dear life. Now, some Christians have this same idea about salvation. They believe that they are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, but there's also this false notion that their salvation is hanging on by a thread. There's this false idea that the only way they will be saved eternally is if they hold faithful to the end. Just like Henry, who because he was able to hold on for dear life, was saved from death. There are many who live with this idea that eternal life is only for those who are able to hold fast until the end. There's a fear that in any instance of doubt, and in the presence of weaknesses, in the complications and difficulties of life, in any failure to obey or be obedient, will God continue to love me? Am I secure in my salvation if I cannot accomplish everything required of me? What if I lose my grip on God? Does that mean that I'll be lost forever? And brothers and sisters, I stand here this morning to proclaim to you that your eternity is not dependent upon how tightly that you're holding on to God, but on how tightly God is holding on to you. Your confidence should not be based on your faithfulness, but your confidence and your salvation should be based upon the faithfulness of God. In fact, you can have complete confidence in God's care for you because your salvation Salvation 
friends, is not dependent upon you at all. And this morning, Paul points us to the work of the Holy Spirit and the assurance, the absolute confidence that you and I can have in our salvation. Over the past few weeks, we've been invited to join Paul in this symphony of praise. The crescendos and the refrains of rejoicing are all throughout this text. And it began in verse 3 of chapter 1. It begins with Paul's proclamation that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has turned on heaven's faucet. And it's been overflowing with grace. In fact, there's a faucet in the back that's overflowing with water right now. They let me know. I see Mr. Pete cleaning it up. But heaven has turned on the faucet of grace and it's pouring in the inexhaustible waters of God's fountain of mercy is overflowing into the life of the believer. There is not one thing that you could ever need or ever want from a spiritual perspective that God has not lavished upon you in Christ Jesus. And this morning we again accept Paul's invitation to praise God In light of the brilliance of God's riches poured out on us in Jesus, we praise Him to the praise of His glorious grace. Now, what are the refrains of praise, you might ask? What are the crescendos of rejoicing in the symphony of God's blessings for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first refrain was given to us in verse 4. God chose you before the foundation of the world and decided in advance to adopt you as His child. If you missed weeks 1 and 2 of this passage, they're online and you can go back and listen. But essentially, this first refrain is speaking of all the people in all the world and on all the times in which to choose, God chose you before you even knew there was a choice to be made. When I was a child... I remember uh, I would go and join in with the other neighborhood kids to play and pick up football games. The best two players in the neighborhood were always the captains. I was not one of them, but the rest of us, we were lined up waiting to be chosen for a team. It's brutal. Pick after pick, I would still be left standing, waiting to be chosen. See, I wasn't the best athlete, and therefore, I didn't bring anything to the team. There was not much value that I brought, but finally, I would, by default, end up on one of the teams. And in our culture, we recognize that the reality that, that people don't get picked who don't add value to the team. So the question is begging to be asked when we get to verse 4 of Ephesians 1, why would God pick you when you didn't have anything of value to add to the team? And so we discussed that God chose you, not because of you, because of Him and His amazing grace. That was the first refrain. The second refrain in this beautiful symphony of praise is the truth that God redeemed you. He forgave you and made known to you the mystery of His will. As we gaze at the beauty of Christ's riches, we rejoice, we worship, not only because God picked us, but when He picked us, He redeemed us. He forgave us. He washed us clean. And not only that, but He revealed to you the mystery of His will. And now, here in verses 11-14, through 14, Paul lifts again his conductor's wand, and with the motion of his hand, he overwhelms us with the final beautiful crescendos of this symphony of praise here in verses 11-14. through 14, And they are number one, the source of of our inheritance, and number two, the guarantee of our inheritance. So we have the source and the guarantee. 
Let's look first to number one, the source of our inheritance in verse 11. You doing okay? All right. In Him, we have also received an inheritance. Notice this phrase, in Him. We have received an inheritance in Him. In other words, Jesus Christ is the source of our divine inheritance. Apart from Jesus, we have no good thing. In fact, the only eternal thing that we have earned from God, that we deserve from God, is condemnation. Now it's true, Matthew 5.45 proclaims that, the God, that God causes the sun to rise for both the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But His spiritual blessings given to us in Christ Jesus are for those who are in Jesus. Those who are in Christ. In Him. Those who have trusted in Jesus as Savior and surrendered and submitted to Him as Lord. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Which says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus, it is only by the name of Jesus that we are saved. Consider also Romans chapter 6, for it's here where Paul begins to direct the spiritual biographical documentary of every believer. In verse 3, he says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection." By a beautiful, amazing, majestic miracle that only God can comprehend, every believer has been to the cross. We have been nailed to the tree spiritually with our Savior. And we have been buried with Him and raised with Him. Jesus was not only crucified, buried, and resurrected for every believer, but with every believer. And not only that, but we know that when Jesus returns, we will be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. You see, on that glorious, wonderful, long-anticipated day when we finally and fully see Jesus, we will be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. This all speaks to the fact that this inheritance that Paul is pointing us to here in these verses is a future event. You see, in the Greek language, when someone when something that was going to take place in the future was so sure, so certain, when there was so much confidence that this event would take place, the Greeks would speak of it as it has already occurred in the past tense because it was so sure that it would happen. And so this inheritance that Paul is speaking of is the future. Essentially, verse 11 here is making explicit the blessing that was implied in verse 5, which says, He predestined us to be adopted. See, included in your adoption, present, is an inheritance, future, from your Father. In fact, you were chosen to receive an inheritance. In other words, you were chosen by God to inherit God. 
Look back at verse 11. In Him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined. Now it's here where we're given a glimpse of God's perspective on our inheritance in Christ. Make note or underline this word predestined. Brothers and sisters, you are what you are because of what God chose to make you before He created the world in Genesis 1.1. From eternity past, God declared that every sinner who trusted in Jesus would be made righteous as the one in whom they put their trust. God, before He placed the stars and the planets into the sky, before He created one animal, one tree, before He created Adam and Eve, He knew you. He knew the vileness and rebelliousness of your sin. He knew how useless and hopeless you would be in your sin. He knew that you would only be deserving of death, yet He chose you to be holy and blameless before Him as sons and daughters who love and glorify God forever. And God did all this, look back at verse 11, according to the plan of the One who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will. I don't know about you, but I know people and have known people who make big plans. Make grandiose plans. They dream big. But in actuality, those plans and those dreams almost never see the light of day. They don't pan out. And I think many of us can relate because this, this speaks to the fickleness of the human condition. But God, He is not fickle. In fact, underline or make note of this phrase, the one who works out what? Everything. Everything. This word translated as works comes from a a Greek word, energeio. And this word from which we get our English word, energize. Energize. And it speaks to the fact that God is not only at work, but His work is effective. God energizes that which He creates. In fact, God's creating and energizing are one. God has never come up with a plan that has not panned out. So when God spoke each part of the world into existence, there was no accidents, no broken parts. There has not been a factory recall on that which God has created. You see, as soon as it was created by God, it began. It was energized. It began to work effectively and efficiently, immediately, to operate precisely according to the plan and the purpose in which God created it. What God creates, He creates perfectly. What God creates, He sees to it that His creation is effective. God works all things. All things. You see, because of His amazing grace, God chose us to be His children, to be joint heirs with His Son, Jesus. And because this was God's plan and not your plan, you can be confident that God will complete His plan. That God will see His plan until completion. In fact, Philippians 1.6 says this very clearly in regards to our salvation. It says, I am sure of this, that He who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who is carrying this work out in you? Are you carrying it out? Or is God carrying it out? He is carrying it out. Friends, God will finish all of what He has started. This speaks to the wonderful truth that God is in control. That God is sovereign. He is in control of all things and He works all things according to His plan and His purposes of His good will. And that's good news, friends. 
Because none of this is dependent upon our goodness and our effectiveness, but it's all dependent upon the One who created all things perfectly and effectively and efficiently, and we can trust Him. But the question is begging to be asked. You keep saying all things, John, but what is included in all things? What does all things encompass? Well, the answer is that it encompasses all things. All things. Everything is included in this. Consider with me Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. From Him are all things. God is the origin. He is the author of all things. And through Him are all things, which means He is the agent of all things. And to Him are all things, meaning that the glory of God is the great goal and purpose of all things. To God be the glory. Paul is driving home the truth, friends, that God is in complete control. He's in control. He is sovereign. And He will accomplish all of His plans. And this is what it means to be God. Consider with me Job 42, verses 1-2. through At the end of Job's life, after he had learned all of his lessons, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Friends, you may have come in here this morning broken, weary, tired, You may have scars and bruises from following Jesus in a life in a broken and sinful world. But you can join Job in confidently proclaiming the truth that God's plan to complete His good work in you will not be hindered, will not be stopped, will not be thwarted. And you can not only find hope in this truth and confidence in this truth, but you can find rest You can find peace. You can find joy. For your eyes are not fixed on this temporary home, but they are set on what is to come when Jesus our Lord, Savior, and King returns for us. Amen? Now, why is He doing this? Why is He working all things? We'll look back at verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 1. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. This is the great purpose. That we who have already put our hope in Christ might love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. To the praise of His glory. Now tell me, where does your hope lie? If you were to step back and and look at your life, what are you hoping in? Are you hoping in financial security? Are you hoping in good health? Are you hoping in a political candidate? And I stand to tell you this morning that unless your hope is in Christ Jesus and Christ alone, you will be sorely disappointed. Because your eternal security is not found in the temporary, but in the eternal. It is in Jesus whom we have an eternal inheritance. An inheritance that is grounded in God's predestination. An inheritance that is secure because it accords with God's plan and purpose. An inheritance that gives us confidence because we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God will accomplish His plans for God is completely sovereign and God is completely in control. Now, with God's perspective in mind, 
Let's take a look at our inheritance in Jesus from our own perspective. The human perspective. You see, the logical question at this point is, if God is in control, then what's left for me? What is my responsibility? What is my responsibility in relation to God's sovereign work? This is a good question. And this is a question in which much ink has been spilled for centuries. Throughout Scripture, there's a tension that exists between God's sovereignty and human will. And this paradox is one that you and I are incapable of fully reconciling. However, it's a paradox in which we are called to believe both sides as they are revealed in Scripture. Look at verse 13. In Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. In other words, faith comes by hearing, and hearing specifically the Word of God. Faith in God comes from a positive response to the message of truth, which is the Gospel. The good news that God has provided a way for you to be saved from sin and death through Jesus' perfect life, His substitutionary death, and His resurrection from the dead. Consider with me John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in His name. What makes Christianity different from every other religion is that your salvation is not dependent upon you. Every other religion is built upon systems. Built upon rituals and and good works or even both. They're built upon you working to earn, working to achieve, working to maintain your salvation. And these things, these rituals, these these. Good works that these religions promote are the very barriers that keep them from God. The only way to come to God, friends, is through Jesus. Romans 10, 10-11 says, One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame. Friends, if you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. Your response to God's elective purpose is simply this. Believe. Your perspective, your responsibility, believe. Believe. In other words, God's choice of men is election and men's choice of God is faith. It is through election that God lavishly, fully, and wastefully pours out every spiritual blessings in heaven, in Christ Jesus, and it is by faith that you receive those gifts. You with me? In other words, we have obtained an inheritance. And the source of our inheritance is predestination, which is built upon the purpose that God would get all praise and glory. Our inheritance that we will receive is secure, not according to your plan and purpose, but according to His plan and purpose. And not that He has to, but God even guarantees this. Number two, the guarantee of our inheritance. All of us want guarantees, assurances. Because, let's be honest, we've all, at one point or another, we've all been let down. Promises have been made that have been broken. It seems as though promises are often so unreliable. We also live in a time and space when I'm not going to believe who you are unless you have a notary tell me you are who you are. 
When purchasing a car or a house, we demand warranties because we just don't trust that we're actually getting what the salesman is saying we're getting. Essentially, we're anticipating a lie. We're anticipating being let down. And let's be real, we're living and following Jesus in exile. We're living in a world that is broken, marred by sin. Uh, The world in which we live is riddled with evil, rampant with wickedness. In fact, all of us in some way or another are impacted and, and affected by sin, sickness, and death. In other words, because we have not directly, immediately, completely received all the promised spiritual blessings when we trusted in Jesus... There is moments in our life in the midst of living in this broken world where we are tempted to doubt our salvation. We're tempted to doubt whether or not we really have been adopted, redeemed. Have I truly been forgiven? We doubt whether or not we will inherit the eternal inheritance that God has promised us in Christ Jesus. Did God really say? This should be echoes of the garden. Did God really say? The saying goes that promises are only as good as the one who makes those promises. And with that in mind, God's simple word should be enough for us. But God knows that our hearts are fickle. So in His grace, God makes His promises more certain. You see, God guarantees His promised inheritance to all who hope in Christ, all who hear and believe in the Gospel with two things. A seal and a down payment. Let's look at God's seal. Verse 13. In Him you were also, in Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Make note of this word sealed. With this word seal, Paul is bringing to mind two specific things to the original audience who would have first heard this. When they heard the word seal, they would immediately have thought of a a wax seal. One in which you would uh, fit onto, not fit, but uh, melt onto, attached to an official document. You would drip the wax onto the document, sealing it, and then there would be a signet ring, most likely with initials of the person, and he would seal that until it was hardened. The impression in the wax was the guarantee that what was promised would be fulfilled for those whom it was promised. Paul is also bringing to mind another imagery. You see, at that time, people, they would brand their possessions with their initials or some sort of of symbol. And this brand, the ancient owner, he announced his ownership with this brand, saying, this is mine. This is mine. In other words, the reality that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit speaks to the truth that you have been bought, you have been paid for by God with the blood of Jesus. It speaks to the truth that you have been branded as a possession of God. He has left His mark on you. And in your heart, we who have the seal of God, the Holy Spirit, know it. We know it. And this seal guarantees that what God has promised will be fulfilled. Now, it's imperative that we understand the moment that you receive Jesus Christ, the moment that you trusted in Christ, you were given the very Holy Spirit of God. In that moment in which you believed, you were gifted the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, Romans 8-9 makes this clear. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit 
Paul goes on to say that, that if you do not have the Spirit of God, then what? You don't belong to God. There is no point in which you are saved and then later down the road you receive the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as receiving more of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as an external gift of the Spirit that's proof of your salvation. There's no need to go to a conference or a concert or an event that you might feel or experience more of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ Jesus, the moment that you trusted in Him, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is at work and alive in you who has believed. Please do not miss how supernatural of a gift your faith is. The Gospel says that you're a sinner. That you were dead in your sin. It's not until the Holy Spirit replaces your cold, dead heart with a heart of flesh, then then you can actually believe the truths of the Gospel. Faith itself is a miracle and is a gift of God. Your faith is a gift. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that faith is evidence of your salvation. Christian, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He's your advocate. And also, too, He's not an it or a force. He, person. He is protecting you, encouraging you. He convicts you and leads you to repentance. He empowers you and equips you for ministry. He changes your desires from the things of the world into things that that please God. You all of a sudden hate the things that you once loved when you were rebelling against God, and now you long for righteousness. You long to live in a pursuit of holiness. He brings to your mind the Word of God in which you have studied. Brothers and sisters, you have been stamped. You have been imprinted with a seal that reads, This person belongs to me. This person is an authentic citizen of the kingdom of God. And not only are they an authentic citizen, but they are my child. They're a member of my family. See, the Holy Spirit of God has marked you with His seal. He secures you. And His presence in your life is the proof that you belong to Him. His presence in your life is proof that the transaction of salvation is official and final. Now, the Holy Spirit not only guarantees our inheritance in Jesus Christ with the seal, but also with the down payment. And we're going to end here in just a moment. God's down payment. The Holy Spirit is not just a mark of God that we are His possession. That's amazing in and of itself. But there's more. The Spirit is also a deposit that guarantees that God's redemption that is to come is secure. That will happen. We can count on it. Look back at verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession, that's us, the church, to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment. When you buy a house, you have to give earnest money, right? That earnest money is saying, hey, I'm I'm serious. This is a promise I intend to keep. In fact, that earnest money then gets tacked on to the whole cost of the home. He's saying the Holy Spirit is the earnest money given in order to secure His purchase. The Holy Spirit is the church's irrevocable pledge. 
The Holy Spirit is the church's divine engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is God's first installment of His guarantee that is to come when Christ returns. He is the first evidence of the full splendor of God's promised spiritual blessings that will one day be completely fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is the pledge that God will never neglect you. God will never walk out on you. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the guarantee that God's promises are assured with an absolute certainty that only God can provide. Mission Church, when you see the world from God's perspective, your, your faith is strengthened. And when you are experiencing some sort of doubt of salvation, you can look to God's perspective and be strengthened in your faith. This is why you and I can live with complete assurance of our salvation. This is why you can experience the suffering and the anguish and the trials that come with living in a broken world. Brothers and sisters, your hope is not in vain. God is powerful and His promises are sure. You can know that without a shadow of a doubt that every valley will one day be lifted. Hearts will be healed. Bodies will be made whole. And all that happens now will lead us and others to an eternity of these blessings in our Savior Jesus Christ. All who believe, friends, are included in this plan. Maybe you're wondering, how do I know for certain that I am included in God's plan? My question simply this morning to you is, do you believe? Do you believe in Him? If you do, then you have the Holy Spirit testifying to your heart that He is able to and will bring all things together for God's glory and your good. And now, we are saved and we are being equipped to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. God, thank You for the assurance that we can have. And all these spiritual blessings that we've read from this section of text that we've been adopted as sons and daughters, redeemed and forgiven and given an inheritance and that we can be sure that what You say will come to pass. We thank You for the confidence that we can have in our relationship with You. We thank You that You are even equipping us now for the work which we'll see in the next few chapters. But You're equipping us to do the work that You've called us to. Lord, we just thank You for this good news of the Gospel and the grace that You've lavishly poured out in our lives. We thank You for what You're doing through Mission Church here in the northwest part of the valley. And we ask, Lord, that You would continue to be glorified by us and that we would remain be faithful to what You've called us to. We love you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We now